I go into the word that God has shared with me um, this morning, I want to, uh, first of all, thank you so much for your prayers. Every time that you get together, not only at, at the prayer group, but um, during the week, we know that many of you are praying for us, for me, as the leadership of the church. So thank you so much. We, we feel your prayers. It would be impossible without your prayers. It's only worth it to, to follow Jesus because we're part of this family of believers that we're side by side following Jesus and, and being supported by one another. So thank you so much. God has been answering your prayers. And I believe that God has been answering our prayers for you. And we pray that God will continue to, to be with us and, and to lead us um, throughout this really, really hard times. Um, during this week, I was watching a press conference of the Portuguese president uh, about the COVID-19 outbreak. And when it was time for him to answer the questions um, that the journalists had, uh, the, the, the answer to most of the questions were simply, I don't know. Now, this is uh, uh, three words that you never expect to hear from a politician. Usually we elected them because they have an idea, they have an opinion about the future, uh, but now they seem to know as much as you and I know. Now, not only are the people broken, but the people who are supposed to help the broken people are as broken as the broken people are. This is brokenness all around. And we are seeing a disruption in our reality like this generation has never seen before. And the beauty of, of, of God and being led by the Holy Spirit in all of this is that this chapter 12 of Hebrews has been, let me use this word, has been haunting me, has been haunting us. Even this morning, we didn't ask Joe Day to read a specific passage, and she chose Hebrews chapter 12. And that's how God has been speaking to us. And I want us to go into Hebrews chapter 12. Now, Hebrews is probably the second most difficult book in, to understand in the New Testament. You know what's the first one? People here in the audience, this vast audience. Do you know what is the first one? Revelation. Revelation is quite hard because it has so much symbolism. It, has, it is connected to so many prophecies in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But Hebrews assumes that the reader knows about the Old Testament law. And after all, it was a letter that was written to the Hebrew people. And many things will be hard to understand if we don't know about the context. But Hebrews was written to Christians who came out of the law-abiding context for them to not giving up on their faith in Jesus, even if things were getting hard. Because when you're, when you're going through hard challenges and your world is completely shattered, God wants you to keep going. And in Hebrews 11... The context of this chapter, it gives us a very long list of people who are an example to us in the faith. People who kept going while facing persecution, while facing famine, while fa facing loss of property, while facing persecution and, and killing even. And when the Bible says in Hebrews eleven thirteen that all these people died in faith without receiving the promises... Notice this, all these people died in the faith without receiving the promises. But they saw the promises from a distance and welcomed them. 
So they persevered. They kept on trusting God with their lives, even though they couldn't see the fulfillment of the promises. And we get to chapter 12 of Hebrews, and at the end, starting in verse 25, it says this, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And over and over, as I was reading this passage, and even as you were praying during this week in the prayer group, many times we hear this word shaken, 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 shaken. And this word really, that God really brought into my heart is taken from Haggai chapter 2 and refers when there's a divine interruption in the natural order of things in your life. To be shaken means there's a divine interruption in your prosperity, a divine interruption in your finances, a divine interruption in your family life, a divine interruption in your health, a divine interruption in your workplace. And just because this shaking is going on, all of your stability has been eroded. So what is normal or what was normal became abnormal. And over and over in this, this uh, chapter, and at the end of this chapter, we see this word shaken. And in scripture, whenever God wanted to do something new, whenever God wanted to reveal something new about himself, or to give people a new experience with him in a way that they've never experienced him before, he would shake things up. And I love this quote from Jordan Peterson in his book, 12 Rules of Life. He says, order is not enough. And we like order. We like stability. But even someone who's not a, a professed Christian, he says, order is not enough. You can't just be stable and secure and unchanging because there are still vital and important new things to be learned. When you see a divine interruption in your circumstances, it's because God wants to reveal to you something that you've never seen before, that God wants to do something in your life that you've never experienced before, is that God wants you to learn about his attributes in a way that you've never thought about them before. And in order for get you, to get you ready to experience all of this, for you to be to understand all of this, he shakes you up because he is setting you up. And we see this in the word of God. When God uh, took his people from Egypt, he shook that land upside down. It, it's like the, the, the land of Egypt vomited the people of Israel after all the hardships and the struggles that they went through. And later at one point, 
The people of Israel, they were crossing the desert, and Pharaoh was on one side, and the people of Israel were in the middle, and on the other side was the Red Sea. And there was no way out of that situation. There was nothing that the people of Israel could do to fix that. All they could do was cry out to Moses, so you brought us here for us to die in the desert. And if you want to know why God puts you in the situation like this, if it's really God that is putting you in the situation like this, this is the first sign. Because it's a situation that you cannot fix. It's something that goes, it's out of your sphere of control. And you don't have a strategy. You don't have a way out. You don't have anyone that you can call to, to fix the situation for you. You can't buy your way out. This means that this situation came from God and God is not expecting you to fix it. He created a scenario such as this. He put the, his people between Pharaoh and the Red Sea because he wanted the people to see something that they've never seen before. He wanted them to experience something that was out of this world. And the Bible says that God opened the Red Sea and the people of Israel walked in dry ground. And in the New Testament, and Pedro spoke uh, about this story. Uh, last week, we see the story of Lazarus. Martha and Mary send word to Jesus. Jesus, our brother is sick, so... Maybe it's a good idea if you could come and heal him. And Jesus responds, this sickness will not end in death. Such comforting words from Jesus. But a few verses later, Lazarus dies. And only because, the Bible says, because Jesus delays. And Jesus delays after promising the sickness would not end in death. And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes we, we look at these stories in, in, in the Bible and it seems like God is confused with God. God seems to be doing something other than the, the things that he promised he would do. And he, he is apparently contradicting his promises. And these two sisters were just devastated that Jesus didn't come through with his promise. And then Jesus says, roll the stone away. And Martha um, gives a very uh, unsolicited, unsolicited warning to Jesus. Jesus, it has been four days. It's going to smell badly. But Jesus answers in a way that was, Martha, I didn't ask you your opinion about the smell of Lazarus. I told you to roll the stone. And you have to roll the stone, otherwise you're not going to experience something new. You're not going to see something that you've never seen before. You're not going to learn something about me that otherwise you would not never learn. So what was this reality that was going on in Hebrews? In verse 24 of Hebrews 12, it says, To Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now these believers were confused between the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the New Covenant, the New Testament. They were bouncing back between these two covenants, and they were mixing them up so in a way that everyone was confused about which covenant was still valid. 
Now, if you don't know what a, what a covenant is, covenant is an arrangement. Covenant is um, a mechanism by which God relates to his people. And in the Old Testament, he related to his people via the law. And in the New Testament, uh, via his grace. But these two covenants were not to be mixed. That's why Jesus made communion, the moment of communion, so important. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. I want to keep you reminded of this new relationship, this new experience that I'm giving you. But they were mixing the old and the new, thus creating confusion. So the Bible says that God had to shake things up. And we can compare the old covenant to a clothes washing tank. I have a picture here. Some of you live in old downtown Lisbon and probably in, in your balcony, you have something like this. Now, this, is, this, isn't, this wasn't made to have flowers in it, but back in the day, and I remember when I was little, we used to have this at home because this is so heavy, this, this tool is so heavy that could only be put in an apartment when the apartment was built. But this, as you can understand, this was meant to wash clothes. And, and I remember still, I still remember my mom washing clothes in the tank. Not just because we had a, a, a other means to do it, but I remember my, my mom taking the sheets or whatever and just rubbing and rubbing and rubbing and getting tired, but still trying to wash things. Um, and this was the way to get things clean for a long, long time. The new covenant is a washing machine. <laughs> the old covenant depended on how hard you would wash to, in order to get something clean. In the new covenant, it depended on this new mechanism that was designed for you um, to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Now, these Christians, they were still relying in the old covenant. They were scrubbing away when God had given them a new way of cleansing. And personally, uh, I understand this uh, a lot better, uh, this old way of doing things, contrasting with the new way of doing things. If you look at me, I'm, I, when I preach, I use paper. I'm old school. I'm, I'm the old covenant. When Gabby preaches, she opens her laptop. She's the new covenant. She's the new way of doing things. And while I know that there's a much better way of doing things, I'm still attached to what I got used to, to what is old. What God wanted them to understand and what he wants us to understand, it's the difference between the old way that they were still attached to and the, old, the new way. And in order for them to move forward, in order to progress them, God said that he was going to shake them up. And he will still do the same in your life and in my life whenever he feels that we need to progress. Whenever he feels that we need to move forward. And for you to understand this, this shaking, I'm going to share with you an exclusive footage of what something that Jay did this week. If Judy can play it. Now, she's, she's the cutest now. She, she stands, all of this. But she was with her cousin. And her cousin really, well, he was such a nice boy. All he wanted to do was watch some TV. It was his favorite show. But Jade was there. And she's not used to not having full attention of the people she's with. So she's bothering him, jumping on him. 
Like, and poor boy, he, he's behaving so well. He's being so, so patient. But he, his face really says, I just want to watch my show. And this is so interesting because we've all been through, through this experience. We've all been through this experience when the kid is just pulling our trousers, pulling uh, the mother's dress, and they will not give up until they have your full attention. And when God shakes your world, he wants you he wants to get your full attention. Now, not because that God is, is like a child, but because you and I, we are stubborn in our own ways. God needs and God wants our undivided attention at a level that otherwise we wouldn't give it to him. In order for our worlds to shake, all we need is an alarm clock. You're in your bed, in the morning, the, the window, the windows and the, the curtains make everything sort of dark. You're just relaxing. You're taking your time. The day's going to be long. But all of a sudden, this noise, this incredibly annoying noise just interrupts your deep sleep and your sweetest dreams and just makes you have to get out of bed. And I don't know about you, I hate alarm clocks. I hate, I'm not a morning person that much, but I never really liked an alarm clock. But it's something that is necessary in order for you to move from your room, from your bed, and take you to your workplace, take you to your kitchen to have breakfast, make you uh, start your day in, in a way that is much faster than just relying on your natural instincts. And this gets you out of bed, gets you in your workplace, gets you to be productive. And like an alarm clock, God shakes your world to move you to a different setting. And when there's a, an earthquake, things that are attached become loosened. And an earthquake shakes things up. And God shakes your world and my world to loosen up something in your life. There's something that he wants to change in your priorities, something he wants to change in your relationships, something he wants to change in a way that you think. He wants you to have a new perspective about things. Because God, when he's shaking things up, God is doing something new. And I, uh, if you watch those makeover shows, you understand that things need to get messy before they get pretty. God needs to move out of place some things that simply do not belong for the purposes that he has for you in the future. So when God wants to remodel your spiritual life, when God wants to reshape your life, he's going to disturb it. He's going to shake it. Now there's a major shakening that is happening in the world right now. And in light of scripture, we can be sure of two reasons for God to be shaking our world. The first one is the return of Christ. This is one shaking. The Bible says that it will be predated by a shaking in the world. And right now, everything that you see in the world can be part of this shaking for the second coming of Christ. And God can be shaking our world to prepare us for our redemption and for our blessed hope. But the second is that God can be creating a new thing in the world. 
to bring a change about in our lives, in our lifestyles, especially among the people of God, to remind us that we're not in heaven yet. This is not the place that we're supposed to be comfortable in. And if there's a shaking that is happening right now in the world, if, there, if it's something that is affecting everyone, believers and non-believers, this needs to be a divine interruption. And we need to pay attention to God. It's not a time for us to blame the devil, to blame other people, to blame countries, and to see whose fault is it. It's a time for us to listen to God, to understand that God wants to do something new in our experience. And that's the problem with theology that says that if you are in a trial, it can't be from God. No. If you are in a trial, it might just be God. And if you belong to God, it's definitely God. That God is definitely there. He is seeking to take us from one level of experience to another level of experience. Hebrews 12 verse 27 says, The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Now, in Hebrews, it's, it's saying that God shakes up created things. Created things are the things that the five senses depend on. The seeing, the hearing, the smelling, the tasting, the touching. Some of these things are going to be shaken in order to reveal things that cannot be shaken. In other words, God is taking you further away from the physical in order for, for you to get deeper in what is spiritual. And the great tragedy today of God's people, and I believe that we all are included in this, is that is when we are so focused on the physical that we lose sight of the spiritual. And the spiritual, the Bible says, is what cannot, will not, will never, in no situation be shaken. Hebrews 20, verse 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And notice this, we are receiving a kingdom. It's something that it's still forming in us. God is still forming in us things that cannot be shaken. But in order for us to receive these things, we need to allow God to shake our world. We need to allow God to shake our lives. And we need to be grateful about that. We are called to remain stable, unwavering in our spirit, regardless of all the things that are moving around us. And, and even in this uh, book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 19, it's not on the screen, but it says that we have this hope as a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It means there are things in our lives that aren't supposed to be shaken. When God shakes your world, he's not shaking you to lose control of things. He is shaking you so that you can rely on God, so that you can depend on God in a way that you've never depended on Him before. Verse 25 says, See to it that you do not refuse Him who speaks. Now the Bible is speaking to you and me directly. 
See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Because when God is shaking your world, he is talking to you. And if God is talking, we need to listen. If you pull, he put you in a situation that you cannot fix, you can legitimately fix, it doesn't depend on you, then you know it's God. And he got you there on purpose. So we don't curse God and die, as Job's wife said. We don't ignore God. We stay, uh, we stay attentive to what God wants to tell us. Because if we ignore what God has to say to us, we will remain for a longer time in shaky situations. And to be able to listen to God, there are many voices that you and I, we need to stop listening to in order for us to focus on what God is telling his church. So what do you do when you are in a shaky situation? When we don't know when God is going to take us out of this, when he's going to redeem us of this situation. He says, and in verse 28 still, I want you to be thankful. God says, I want you to be thankful and worship me acceptably with reverence and awe. God says, when your world is shaking, when you're losing control of your reality, of your world, of your circumstances, I want you to give thanks. Now, this is not giving thanks for the pain and the inconvenience. That is crazy. God is not asking us to, to be thankful for the, the situations that hurt us, for the situations that afflict our souls. But he's asking us to be thankful for the reason for the pain. He's asking us to be thankful for the purpose behind the inconvenience. Pain is pain. Hurt is hurt. Sickness is sickness. We don't call things with other names that, of, that they are not. Pain is pain no matter how you present it. And we're not being grateful for the pain, but in James chapter 1, a letter that was written to Christians that were losing all their properties, they were becoming poorer and poorer. The Bible says that they were challenged to give thanks for the spiritual purposes that God had in allowing that struggle to happen in their lives and them losing all their finances. They had to pray, God, I don't know why you allowed this to happen right now in my life. I was, wasn't expecting this to happen. I was relying and believing that I was living in your promises right now. But I am thankful for you. I am thankful that you have a really good reason for allowing this to happen right now in my life. They were giving thanks for a reason they still couldn't see. They were giving thanks for something they didn't fully understand. In John chapter 6, Jesus asks Philip, where will we get food to feed all these people? And you know this story very well. It was easily over 10,000, 15,000 people because it was 5,000 men without counting women and children. 
And this was an unreasonable question, even to Jesus. It sounds like a joke. Even if there was a McDonald's nearby, how could they feed that amount of people? Then Andrew was just noticing a kid and praising a kid that was about ready to have this dinner, his dinner. He had two fish, five loaves of bread for a kid. This is plenty. He's gonna, he was going to have a banquet. And, and we all have this friend that no matter where they go, no matter where uh, they find themselves in, they always have a backpack with some sort of snack and some sort of food. And this, it was this kid definitely. He, he was probably a chubster. He, he liked his food. He, he had to be ready. Hey, this is going to be a long day. I'm going to go to the mountain to see Jesus. I'm going to get hungry, so I better prepare. Of all the five, over 10,000 people, this kid got the food. But they brought this food to Jesus. And it was an insignificant amount. But what did Jesus do? He took the two fish, he took the five loaves, and gave thanks. Jesus gave thanks for the insufficient. Jesus gave thanks for the ridiculous. Jesus gave thanks for the crazy. He basically gave thanks for fish bones and crumbs when the problem was in the order of thousands. Yet after the thanksgiving, the Bible says everyone ate to their full. And there were 12 baskets of leftovers yet. What made things move from insufficiency to sufficiency was thanksgiving in a painful situation. When we are being shaken, when we don't know what God is doing, we have to give thanks to God. We have to recognize the things that God is putting in our hands and receive them with thanksgiving. Because thanksgiving is what is going to allow the abundance, the sufficiency of God in your life and in my life. The Bible says that we have to give thanks and continue saying that we have to worship God. And in different translations, it says we have to serve God, which means that we have to be a blessing not only to God with our words, but to other people with our actions. Whatever it is that you are needing from God, provide it in service to someone else who's going through the same struggle as you are. And recently, Gabby spoke about Elijah and the widow at Tzarephat. Oh, that, those names in the Old Testament. Tzarephat. And, and Gabby spoke about this story. She got food for herself and her son, when she gave it to Elijah, she gave to Elijah her last meal. Giving what you have is the way that you will worship God in reverence and awe. In Hebrews, this passage ends with verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. This might sound, probably sounds very weird for you and me. If, if, especially if we're not uh, Jews, this sounds out of context. 
But let me give you the context. This means a lot, especially to the Hebrew people. The Hebrews, they were struggling with the Old Testament sacrificial system. They were struggling with the Old Covenant. And the, and the author, the writer of this letter, he's giving them an example of the Old Covenant in order to bring them to the New Covenant. In this sacrificial system, you would take an animal, put it in on the altar, and the fire would consume it by fire. And the fire would consume it. But the reason... For this to happen is so that the just wrath of God would be averted and the people would be restored in their relationship with God. So as far as the animals concerned, it was a painful situation, as, uh, but for the people, this was a redemptive situation. Everyone was waiting for the moment the high priest would take this animal's blood and put it on the altar uh, and this obviously is not so good for the animal, but it was great for the people. The consuming fire has this both negative and a positive connotation. Negative because it is painful, but it's positive because it is purposeful. It's negative because it hurts, but it's positive because it helps. It burns the animal, but it renews the relationship with the people. And he takes this Old Testament concept and he transfers it to the New Testament reality. When your world is shattered, when you are hurting, if you offer God thanksgiving in your heart and you offer service with an attitude of worship, God will consume the negative in order to release the positive. God is going to take away, he's going to shift your focus on the negative, in the unpleasantness, in the things that we cannot fully understand, and he's going to release the greater things and the greater purposes that he has for your life. Before I got married, I used to iron every single piece of cloth that I had. This was the way that I was brought up. Then I married Gabby, and Gabby introduced me to a new world. A world where clothes don't necessarily need to be ironed. They can be taken out of the hanger, folded, and put in the closet. And somehow, the world didn't end. Life continued to happen. So it was an amazing discovery for me. But... Once in a while, there's a piece of clothing that has a few stubborn wrinkles. Now, you deal with those wrinkles with a hot iron. And whenever there's, uh, my trousers need, uh, need to be ironed, whenever Gabby has a dress that definitely needs to be ironed, we go to our, uh, to our storage and we take out that iron. Now, that iron is going to work wonders in the fabric. We can touch it with our bare hands, and if our clothing could speak, it would say, ouch, this hurts, this is horrible. Why are you doing this to me? I'm so soft, I'm so delicate, why are you doing this to me? Imagine that. But the steam is consuming the wrinkles. Something that doesn't belong there. It's a negative if people just see me doing that kind of thing to the fabric without understanding the purpose, why am I doing it? 
But we all understand the purpose of irony. But we never, many times we do not understand when God is moving us through fire. God is a consuming fire. If he sees something in our lives that he doesn't like, he will apply some fire. He will apply some disturbance. He will shake things up. To reverse the circumstances, he will apply some heat. And when things get uncomfortable, we pray, Lord, deliver me, Lord, from this. Lord, get me out of this. Lord, you don't want me to suffer, do you? Take me out of this situation. But we have to be thankful for the purposes that he has in allowing us to go through the fire. When he shakes our world, he wants us to shine. He wants us to be like that piece of clothing that God himself is wearing and it's, it's showcasing his glory and his purpose in a generation that cannot see God. But when God is moving us through the fire, when God is applying some heat in our lives, when God is shaking things in our world, the world will see that God is the God of our lives, that God is a God of purposes, And I want to close and invite Pedro and Jamil to come. And I'm going to close with this verse that was such a revelation for me this week. And we all know the, the story of Job. And um, it's uh, one of my sisters-in-law, she's reading the Bible in 90 days. That is a good challenge for you. If you have free time, if you don't have children around you, if you don't have a jade that is pulling your hair and your clothing because she wants attention, go for it. Read the Bible in 90 days, especially if you really like reading, if you can be reading for a long period. But in this, this uh, and, and she was... Um, she was telling us, she was sharing with, with some of us in the family that why would God have a staff meeting with the devil? And it's quite weird in a way. Why would God allow uh, the devil to speak to him and, and, and God speak to the devil? What is going on? But when the, God shakes the world, sometimes the devil will be involved. He may use the devil. Sometimes he has nothing to do with it. And sometimes he has something to do with it. But you and I, we have to understand that God is bigger than the devil. God is greater than the devil. God is not rivaling, rival, uh, rivaling with the devil in terms of who can make things his way. The world belongs to God. The universe belongs to God. And sometimes God will allow the enemy to disturb things only because God is allowing him to disturb things. So my focus is not on the devil. Because you and I, we're not the devil's work. We are God's work. And we have to trust that we are in his hands. No matter what, we belong to him. So even if you are going through some shaking, some things in your life that you don't understand. Look to God. Trust Him. 
He is the God that has your life in the palm of his hands. And he loves you. He wants to reveal new things to you. He wants to give you new experiences with him. He wants you to understand things about him that otherwise you would never, ever know. And this book of Job is sometimes a little bit hard to understand. But that's okay. Because on this time on, in this time on earth, we're not going to understand everything about God. But we are so excited to have this journey with, with God that we are learning about Him. That we are opening our hearts to learn more things about Him. And I was thinking and I was, um, I was really challenged by God about this book of Job. And you and I, if we read the book, we think that the key to understand this book is at the end when Job has more than when he began his story. But actually the key to understand the, the story of Job and everything that is going on in his life is in the first verses of chapter 42. It says in verse 5, In the past... I knew only what others had told me, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. When God shakes your world, it's because He wants you to see something that before you have just heard. And a lot of Christians today are living a faith that is based on other people's experiences with God. You base your, 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 your life with God based on what He has done with other people, based on the testimonies of what God has done with your family, about what God is doing in, in China, in the United States, in Brazil, in Russia, in South Africa. But God wants to give you an experience of your own with Him. If your world is shaking, God wants to reveal new things to you. You're going through the fire because you're coming out of the fire one day. And you're going to testify the greatness, the power, the wisdom, the glory of God demonstrated in your life in a way that the whole world will see God in you. So before you get disappointed with God, that He is making your world shake. That we look around and we see all these structures. Everything right now around the world is shaking. Health-wise, politics, NATO, United Nations, you name it. Everything is shaking. But remember, you and I, we belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us focus on things that are going to last forever and allow God to shake your life. Be thankful for a God that has purposes in shaking your life. If this is afflicting you right now, if this COVID-19 situation has affected you in some way, don't be upset about COVID-19. Turn your eyes to God and praise Him. Worship Him. Trust Him with everything that you have because He's doing something new in you. That's how God works. That's how all God has always worked. To make something new, He's going to shake things up. And you and I, we're going to see the glory of God in ways that we've never seen before. 
We're going to learn more from God that we, in ways that we've never heard about him before. And we're going to celebrate Jesus and sing to him this morning with a thankful heart. And let us do everything that is that God has given this opportunity to do. Let us do good. Let us serve him in awe as he deserves to be. Amen. Let's sing.